Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of the show, Kevin Kernan. This is Coaching Kernan, our flagship show here. We do have a special guest host today who is on one of our other shows, uh, Day at the Art Common Sense Pitching co-host Will George has joined us. We have a great, great guest today. Uh, we've been dying to get him on the show, and I'll keep the preamble short we get to him. That way we can get right to the meat and potatoes of the episode. But before we begin, a little message to our faithful audience. We have approached 19,500 faithful subscribers right now. Make sure you continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. The rate and review allows us to battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in baseball. If you do that, we can keep providing you great content like we do every week here on Coaching Kernan. Get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Make sure you engage us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We had 780 questions this morning when I woke up, so I'll get back to everybody privately. I get back to one person live on Facebook. Also, follow Kevin on Ball9 and his social mediums. Very interactive all day long. Let's continue to support not just him, but our brothers at Ball9. 72 countries now, grassroots to MLB front offices, and all we're trying to do is build a better baseball IQ out there. And I will read this little precursor. Our audience has asked me to do it, and I will do it. As you listen to this show, new listeners, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball. And of course, we get into life as this program, like no others, has time for the comforting lies out there. So we're going to hit you right between the eyes. Kevin, as you know, I was away a little bit this past week with some baseball, with with USA Baseball and a big amateur tournament. So my head was in the sand a little bit. You know, two great articles out there. I I always manage to read the articles. But what did I miss? What what did I miss out there? Well, it's it's. You know, basically the same thing that's been going on. The game is heading down the hill. Uh, I can't wait to get our guest uh, feelings on some things. And also a lot of pressure on Buckshaw Walter. You know, it seems like, and this is what happens. This is why I wrote about a, probably a month or two, and you know, two months ago I addressed it, that they were in problems with the Mets. Now everybody's catching up, of course. But um, when that stuff happens, you know it's coming from above. And then the people who uh, basically just uh, – listen to to the uh, front office people and don't give the manager any credence uh, uh, repeat it in the media so you see a lot of buck hate going on you know so that's uh, that's interesting buck suddenly forgot all all he knew about baseball uh, the last two weeks it's got nothing to do with the analytics over with the Mets and Billy Epler trying to control the narrative and telling who who can pitch who can't uh, I'm so sick of that. Um, it'd be different if, if and, and, and of course, uh, Will George can address this, but it'd be so different if this thing was working and guys weren't getting hurt, but they're getting hurt worse than ever. So it's been, uh, I don't want to be a De- Debbie Downer, though. Uh, but so I wrote a column. Um, I, 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 in the middle of the night, I woke up the other night thinking about how I was going to introduce this column because I knew what I wanted to say. And I remembered the scene from The Graduate 1967 film. Where uh, Ben gets taken out of the party by a businessman, a good friend of the family, pulls him out by the pool area and, and basically tells the confused Ben that Dustin Hoffman, I got one word for you and it's plastics. Now, I was, uh, you know, get, getting ready for my freshman year in high school back then and plastics became a big thing. It was a great one word, even though it was kind of funny for the movie. Um so I thought, let's talk about that with baseball. Athletes is the one word. If I could speak to all 30 owners, you're seeing it uh, playing out with the new stupid rules. You can, And these uh, these athletes would play in any era. Uh, you can steal bases in any era. You can work fast in any era as a pitcher. You can take advantage. You can anticipate all the things that baseball has lost. It's a great column. Um, got a lot of response. Baseball people, 
out of the blue got in touch with me. They all said it's I nailed it, and um, you know it's uh, and I really appreciate that because these are the guys I'm writing for, and uh, that's where we are, Dave. It's uh, we got a lot to talk about today, so that's, that's it for me. No, that's that's great, and. and- one of our, actually our guest next Monday, Mike Port, uh, texted me about your column. I was very excited about uh, what you write. He's always a loyal reader, as you know, and you guys have a long history together. Yeah, uh, Mike's got a great uh, podcast voice, too, so he'll, uh, he'll his baritone will be there. Oh, he did. He had me mesmerized for two hours the other night uh, talking baseball, so can't wait for the show for him. But with our guest today, um, really needs no introduction to our audience. I, our audience is, they, they cling to that weekend show. Remember when? Uh, I know I do. I know Will George spoke about us at two hours in his car to listen to it every every weekend. But our our guest today, uh, remember him from the Sunday morning radio, Ed Randall's Talking Baseball, which was on w, WFAN Radio. Also the co-host and co-host of Remember When, uh, which is on Radio MLB Network uh, on Saturdays. Did serve as a post-game analyst on commercial telecast for the New York Yankees on WWR-TV. And actually started in minor league baseball, but uh, had a cameo pinch hit for the voice of God, Bob Shepard, at one point in time. Um, but today I want to welcome to episode 210, Coach and Kernan, Ed Randall. Ed, welcome to our show. Guys, uh, wonderful to be with you. Been looking forward to uh, coming on. You guys do great work. Well, we appreciate it. I've got a couple questions to get us started, and I'm going to pass it on to Kevin and Will. But, um, you know, following your career, um, listening to your shows, listening to your points of view on the game. Um, you know, you're, you're very direct and, and very consistent with your message. And I think that's why you have such a great following. But I don't know how many people know, um, I mean, you're a hometown kid. You're a Bronx kid. And I wanted you to, to kind of address our audience a little bit on, you know, how your upbringing, you know, going to Catholic school at All Hollows, taking the subway from behind Yankee Stadium, you know, uh, the center field fence. I think you used to ride the subway home there three blocks away. Um, how did your upbringing growing up there prepare you for, I guess, what most would consider that volatile New York media market, which we all love, that, that, that you built your career on? Um, David was all baseball. There was really nothing else. Uh, and we played uh, until the streetlights came on. Uh, and then it was time to go home. And we would steal the uh, uh, the the mop sticks, the uh, the sticks from the mop, and uh, from our mothers. And we would grind, we would put it in a hole in the sewer and grind it to make it the size that we wanted, so we could play stickball. Uh, you know, for me personally, um, it, it was uh, football. The idea of knocking somebody down was anathema. And worse, the idea of me getting knocked out, no. Uh, in the class picture at All Hollows, I was in the front row because I was small, so the, the basket looked forever, So bas- and I had small hands. So basketball wasn't uh, an option. And and hockey, my God. I mean, the, the closest you got to ice uh, was what, uh, what your parents used to call high balls. Uh, cocktails and there was ice in the glass. Uh, that was it. So there was no hockey in the Bronx. So by process of elimination, it was all about baseball for me. Yeah. No. And in, in your people root for you, just like they root for the Yankees being that hometown kid and you have a passion for baseball. It, it comes out in every, every conversation you have, every show you do. Um, but you have another passion, an additional passion that you're pursuing right now. And, you know, same question. 
How did that that tough upbringing in the Bronx, uh, how did that passion for baseball, how did that transfer over to now a new passion you have, which is uh, embodied in Fans for a Cure and a new program called Catch for a Cure? Talk, talk to that to our audience. Um, I was, uh, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about uh, Fans for the Cure. I was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer when I was only 47. And uh, I went to the doctors for routine annual physical, thought it was going to be routine. And my doctor calls me back. John had never called me. He goes, you know, Regis, your PSA is really high. Now, at this point in time, guys, I'd only been, bro- I'd been broadcasting for about 20 years. And my only defini- definition of PSA was, repeat after me, public service announcement. I had no idea this was an indicia for cancer. But he said, you know, maybe the lab screwed up the blood test. Come back. Let's take another uh, blood test. We'll send it to another lab, which was the last thing I wanted to hear because I've had a deathly fear of needles since the age of five. But given the circumstances, I went back, took another blood test. And in fact, it confirmed the fact that I had uh, prostate cancer. Uh, When I came out uh, on the other side, my two favorite words in the English language, in remission, um, I came to the realization that there could be tens, hundreds, thousands, millions of guys out there like me walking around feeling fine, thinking they were fine, when in fact they were time bombs because prostate cancer in its earliest stages has no symptoms. And there's an almost 99% cure rate of prostate cancer is detected early. So I filed, filed a 501c3, now called Fans for the Cure, uh, dedicated to helping men recognize the risks of prostate cancer and the immense value of early detection in both extending and saving their lives. I am the only person in America who stops his show first on the, and when I was on WFAN for 17 years and now on Sirius XM, the last break is always me urging men to go to the doctors because the demographic by and large, listening to Remember When Saturday mornings on Sirius XM is that demographic that is most vulnerable to prostate cancer. Uh, We are starting a new initiative about to kick off right now called Catch for the Cure. Everybody's going to have a catch. Everybody's going to have a catch. And with the the reemergence, the reintroduction of Field of Dreams, hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? It still makes me cry. Uh, We want people to invite uh, someone to be their catch partner, Uh, a father, a son, a mother, a daughter, a a former teammate or a coach, good friend, anyone you'd like to share the special experience of having a catch. You want to put it on your cell phone and send it to us? That's great. You can sign up for it at uh, fansforthecure.org slash the catch. And once you sign up for the catch, um, you can get people to support your catch. If you were running in a 5K or 10K, you'd get people to support your run. Hopefully, you will get people to support your catch. And I am making myself available to have catches. I keep two gloves in my car. I have a fungal bat. I have baseballs. I'm a baseball whore, always looking for a game, even at my age. And, and, and guys, I'm very well rested. So I'm ready to go. I'll go anywhere and have a catch with somebody. And, uh, you know, I want to remind you, I I know your audience knows this. I once threw 98, uh, 49 in and 49 back and was voted uh, one of the top 1,000 pitchers in Fordham University history. And all proceeds from the catch will help fund our uh, programming schedule of prostate cancer awareness, education and screening events. 
Thank you that's for the opportunity. Awesome. No, that's great. And you've had some supporters. Minor, minor League Baseball has been a supporter of fans for the cure. If I read right, 1,200 uh, stadiums you've visited already or that the fans for the cure has, 39 states. We'll catch, catch for a cure. We'll, we'll piggyback on that. Yeah, we did. Uh, we, we <laughs> I spent seven years in the minor leagues and uh, had the great good fortune to know league presidents and uh, owner-operators of franchises. And I thought, you know what? Uh, there's 50 million people that go through those gates, 40 million in affiliated stadiums, 10 million in the unaffiliated, in the independent. Uh, that's an unserved constituency. We got to get to those people. So starting in 2007 through 2009, uh, when uh, co- uh, till 2019, when uh, COVID came along and then the commissioner decided to, to uh, kill 42 cities, uh, we had uh, tables. We had uh, information tables. We'd pick up uh, local volunteers to staff those tables and hand stuff out. Uh, On Father's Day, where there was, of course, a particular focus for prostate cancer, uh, we had one Father's Day where we had 22 ballparks uh, doing uh, Fans for the Cure Day uh, Prostate Cancer Awareness Day in their ballparks, uh, starting in Batavia uh, in the New York Penn League in the East and going to Visalia in the California League. Now with COVID having passed, uh, it the practicality of having information tables and handing stuff out, we don't think is, is uh, practical. So uh, we have a 30-second PSA that we're having teams run on their video boards featuring our chairman of the board, Steve Garvey, fellow prostate cancer survivor, and Bob Kendrick, uh, the well-regarded president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, telling men simply to go to to go to the doctors. And that's what we're uh, that's what we're doing there. And up in Cedar Rapids, uh, the Cedar Rapids Colonels on July 9th are going to have a mass catch after their game uh, with 600 people on the field having catches on behalf of fans for the cure. That's phenomenal. It's a it's it's simple, it's beautiful, and as you pointed back to the movie Field of Dreams, I think everybody gets touched by that scene, whether they're baseball fanatics or not. Everybody can relate to that. Um, our audience, well, I, our 19- I lost, I lost, I lost my dad when I was ten. So the first time I saw that in the movie house, I was a bag of hammers. Okay, because I didn't have. I only remember one catch with my dad before he passed away. So when I see that scene, even now, um, I just, uh, I, I well up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you have some other well-known supporters too? Harry Carson, uh, Andre Dawson have been, been a part of that. And I know our 19,500 subscribers in our 72 countries that are listening right now, let's, let's support catch for the cure. Let's make sure that, uh, we'll, we'll reannounce it at the end of the show and we'll put it in the show notes to make sure that we can follow and support everything you're doing and anything we can do for you on this network. You just, Tell us first and ask us later. We'll, we'll certainly support. I've got one more question. I'll pass it on to my, my co-hosts here. It has to do with the minor league system. You brought it up. Spent seven years in the minors. Had a great view of what makes baseball so great. You probably saw the batting practice going on and the, the pregame BP, the pregame infield, the pregame base running, the running of poles. Uh, that's, that's disappeared right now. And the commissioner... Um, reduced our minor league system. The only business model in the world that I've ever seen the the entry point reduced to grow the game. But how important is the minor leagues? Uh, and what did that do to the game and where we're at now? I know my co-host will pick this up, but what did that do to the game as we see it today in terms of its, uh, I guess, I don't want to say demise. I don't want to sound uh, fatalist, but how has that hurt our game? 
You know, uh, I'm, I'm good friends with Pat O'Connor, uh, who was the uh, who was ousted as the head of the of minor league baseball, the organization called Minor League Baseball, the governing body of minor league baseball. And he he put it so well at the time that this storm appeared, which was we not just in the minor leagues we we not only develop ball players we develop fans. So when I see that the Appy is going away, the Appalachian League is going away, and the New York Penn League, where I spent a lot of time, I started in Elmira, New York, um, with the Red Sox for three dollars a game, but that's another story. Uh, Six dollars for double headers, thank you. Uh, when I see the Penn League leave, when I see the Appy leave, when I see the Pioneer League leave, uh, I have this vision of a little girl sitting on her father's lap on a Friday night in Kingsport, Tennessee, waiting for the fireworks after the game, eating cotton candy. And now that's gone. Yeah, you, you can talk about, well, we're gonna, it's, a, it's a development league and what, uh, attra- attracting which fans exactly. Um, this is the heart and soul of baseball, these cities. And now uh, they've been fractured. Uh, they've been told to leave. Uh, Fresno uh, was AAA for years. Now is in a is in an in, in, in a ball. Um, I understand the idea of grouping, if you can, the farm clubs geographically. I can remember back in the day when the Pittsburgh Pirates had a farm club in uh, Hawaii in the Coast League. Uh, and the Washington Senators before that. I, I get all that. Uh, but the fact is, it, what you just said about growing the game, but subtracting the opportunities to enjoy it in person. Yeah. No, it's, I think that's, uh, I think we agree with you wholeheartedly and our our audience will will bang the drum loud for that too. Uh, will, I, I, I didn't allow you to jump in with a question. No, I know you had a question it, 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 for Ed. There's a couple things on piggybacking on what Ed just said. And I think Dan O'Dowd, when we had him on, said the same thing, that the best advertising money that Major League Baseball's ever spent was the minor leagues because it grew the game all around the country and people loved the game and they followed the players to the big leagues and the families went and watched them as they moved up the levels. And it just developed a passion and a closeness that the minor leagues gives that nothing else does. It, it also gives us the employees that have worked in the game. Guys like me, when they get done playing their nine years in the minor leagues, they want to stay in the game and they go coach and they scout and they give back. And um, we're losing that. We're, we're, we're losing that. And as you said, Dave, you know, you know, no business model for growth says, hey, let's shrink the entry level. It's let's grow the entry level to try to bring more people in. Um, They don't want to spend money, but, you know, there's players all along as I was coaching that never played in the big leagues, but they helped. They helped when I was was with Cleveland, Charles Nagy, to become a better major league pitcher. That guy never played in the big leagues, but he had a big impact on his life, his teammate. Um, saw, saw it with other guys that helped, uh, you know, helped Albert Bell get through some things that he was going through in the minor leagues and just grow up and mature. And, you know, it, it it's not a good thing. And, 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 and it's not a good thing that uh, the people that live in the Ivy, Ivory Tower that all went to Ivy League schools – 
they don't understand any of this at all. I was wondering, you know what, Will? I was wondering when <clears throat> they obviously took pen to paper and decided uh, this one stays, this team goes, this team goes, this one gets moved to a different league. I, I was wondering, the people who did that, did they ever see a minor league game? A lot of them, no. And did they ever ask true baseball people what their thoughts were on doing that? And, you know, there were some shady things that went on. Some people lost pretty good franchises because other people paid Major League Baseball. So I, I, I heard this on, on three different franchises. I won't say who they were, but they paid money. It was basically a bribe to become an affiliated team out of an independent league. And then the affiliated team is now nothing. And they were pretty good franchises. And that's not a good thing when you see that happen. Ed, Kevin here. The um, I was just in Burlington, Vermont a few weeks ago, and, and that's one of the teams uh, you mentioned. And, and to their credit, they've recreated themselves as a, you know, a college league, a developmental league. It, but it was, you know, I was able to see those. There weren't fireworks that night, but I was able to see all those, uh, the people who love the game, just sitting there, having a good time, smiling on their face, eating good food. They had great, the food there is incredible. And they do have, Ed, this is very interesting being a Bronx guy. They do have, they have a pizza oven in Burlington that came directly from Italy. And it still has on the tiles that they put some, uh, an homage to the Expos. Thank goodness that pizza oven <laughs> is in, in Vermont <laughs> and not in New York, where where they're coming for your pizza now. So so basically, um, the elites are everywhere. They're trying to destroy the common lives that we have, the fun we have. And that's one of the things I love about your show with Kevin Kennedy. Uh, you guys get to the heart of the matter. You bring interesting people on. You... you uh, you know, I will sometimes directly quote from your show, like when you had Tommy John on and things like that. But your love for the game comes through, and I, I, I wanted to ask you about the because we can't we can't forget these guys. You do a uh, you do the you're kind of like the host, the MC for the uh, the uh, New York Pro Scouts baseball uh, uh, hot, hot stove league every year. Uh, yes. What is that relationship been like? And I, I'm, I'm very curious. Start with this. this. is a very direct question, and you can give me a number because we're all into stats. We love our stats. At that, at that wonderful dinner with Billy Blitzer, uh, with all those baseball people there and, and the heart and soul, the, the scouts that really are spending their time, you know, grassroots, how many analytic people have you seen there? How many nerds have showed up there at that dinner? I wouldn't know, Kevin, because I've never seen one. <laughs> and, and you know that's what I that's what I concern myself with. I'm like, who are these people making these decisions uh, that trickle down uh, to the dugout like sludge? Uh, I, I've never seen them. I, they may be there, Kevin. I don't know. I, I wouldn't know who they are. They're, they're faceless and, and they're not accountable uh, to what's going on in the game. I don't know if they're at the dinner. I don't know. They don't want. They don't want to get involved with the, you know, any of that. They don't want to be with those people because, uh, you know, they're they're too busy, they're too busy crunching numbers that make no sense and are historical. Uh, but also, as well, those. T- tell us a little bit about the the, the uh, kind of like the, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of like a a baseball dinner that's with a. It's really not a dinner 
with you know mucky mucks it's a dinner with your friends and when you talk baseball um herb stein the legendary scout who signed rod carew uh called ed up one morning and said i'll meet you at the riverdale diner in the bronx and which was in my neighborhood because i lived in riverdale and so did he and he said uh, I'd, I'd like you to host the scouts dinner this was in uh uh, the winter of 1992, and uh, I began doing it in 1993, and uh, the authorities uh, have stayed to the side for some reason to allow me to do this thing for about 30 years and and, and write my bad jokes and insult people, uh, and I love, I can't wait for the dinner every year. Uh, so it's, it's wonderful, and like you said, Kevin, there's such a collegiality, such a brotherhood in the scouting community, which has been decimated uh, by, the, by the pod people. And uh, it's just wonderful to see uh, the Sal Augustinelli's with Philadelphia and the Joe Rigoli's with St. Louis uh, somehow survive. I just love that dinner. And uh, these guys, as far as I'm concerned, should all have lifetime contracts. They really should. And uh, I was lucky enough to be uh, presented with the Dick Young Award in 2010. Uh, which really is, it's, it hangs on my wall still. It's, it's right up there with, with, with some other great uh, events I've been to. But I would imagine, too, that you, you, you gather some good information or connections that you get on your show then from talk, Talking Baseball. Two things on Talking Baseball, too. The original Talking Baseball, the TV shows, when they pop up now, what kind of reaction you get from people? Because some of those are classics with the people you've had. Talk, mention that and, uh, you know, how that all developed and, and really, you, you had some tremendous big names on those shows. Uh, we did 530 half hours, 530 half hours, more than Ed Sullivan or any of those people. I think people in your audience may know who Ed Sullivan was. We did 530 half hours. We started April 1st, 1988, when Paul Molitor, who I didn't know, uh, came through the doors at HBO Studios on East 23rd Street. I had written to him. Uh, we would tape five shows in one day. Uh, we were the very definition of 10 pounds in the five pound bag. Uh, I didn't even have time to change it. I didn't even have to, most times I didn't even have time to change a tie. So Molitor walks in. And you know how Costas talks about uh, keeping Mickey Mantle's baseball card in his wallet? Well, I yes. keep Paul Molitor's baseball card in my wallet. And uh, when Cracker Jack used to have decent prizes that one year or for a series of years, they had small, tiny little baseball cards. And wouldn't you know it, I get, I get Cracker Jacks, I open it up, and there's a Paul Molitor card. Like I'm talking like an eighth of an inch, a quarter of an inch. And I take the card and I bring it into uh, the locker room and I have Paul Molitor autograph it. And now the autograph all these years has faded away, but I keep it, I still keep it in my wallet. So I see Molitor at the Gold Glove dinner um, this past November in New York. And the first thing he says to me, still got the card? I said, what are you, crazy? I'm still breathing. I still got the card. Of course I do. I take out my wallet and I show it to him. Um, it was a wonderful experience to be able to do the television show. We did 530 half hours with the who's who of the, of the sport. I had Mickey Mantle and, and Whitey Ford. I had Whitey five times. I lived with his son in the minor leagues in Elmira. That's another story. Um, and it was just a great opportunity. So, Kev, to your question, uh, we're looking to uh, repurpose 
the 530 half hours in some form. Uh, that would be great. It's been, yeah. it's been digitized. It's it's being digitized. It's taking months to digitize the entire series. Uh, we'll be done probably in about another month, and we hope to take it out there uh, in some form. I don't, you know, in short attention span theater, uh, nobody's going to sit and watch what turns out to be a 22-minute interview. Uh, that's, that's not going to happen. But then again, nobody's going to be talking to Ted Williams anymore uh, or Mickey Mantle. And so uh, we're looking to uh, we're looking to get them out there, and and it's just really gratifying that now I'm an old goat, and I cover games, and I'm at the ballpark between the Yankees and Mets about a hundred times a year at least, and I'm walking through the hallway at City Field uh, a month ago when San Diego's in, and I meet AJ Preller, the general manager, and he goes, you know, I grew up watching your show. I'm getting a lot of that now. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know. I know I, I, I here and there I get on AJ Preller because I think he he gets too influenced by the analytics, but he's a guy who wants to be an old time baseball guy, but he won't allow himself to do it. That's that's a story for another day, but that's just my point on him because he sits with the scouts, yet he gets mesmerized by the money. And you got to realize if, if you were building a team today, and I address this in my story, um, uh, what what would you what are they missing most of all? I'm going to put you on the spot. What, what what are these teams missing most of all about building a team in 2023? Um, baseball IQ, mm. more, more than anything. Uh, the uh, the physical talent is phen- phenomenal. Uh, you guys, uh, Will, Dave, Kev, me, I never saw Mickey Mantle leave his feet. I never no. saw in any of those. K-Line, all you know, you saw Clemente do it. Uh, but by and large, you, you never saw guys leave the the athletic ability is astounding. How great they are! But the lack of fundamentals is also astounding, and that's what I think they're missing. Um, and and I think it goes back to way before they become professional players. I think the cancer begins in high school uh, with. They're teaching the kids launch angles there. Oh, my God, I'm watching the Houston and Los Angeles on Sunday night because there was nothing else on. And they're talking about the three of them in the booth on ESPN are talking about an 18-degree launch angle. I wanted to just throw a shoe at the television. Who cares? And how do you explain it? And who? what relevance does it have historically? We're all about history. So what was Willie Stargell's launch angle and what was McCovey's launch angle? What it, it's, it's just all these numbers that mean nothing and exit velocity. Oh, really? What was Mantle's exit velocity on that Sunday afternoon in Yankee Stadium when he took Barney Schultz upstairs on the first pitch in the bottom of the ninth inning? What was that launch angle exactly? What was that exit velocity? It's just white noise. No, I'm I'm so glad you said that because I, I was gonna I was gonna address some of that because I think what baseball is missing too uh, from a from a broadcasting standpoint and of course our our friend Jim Cott is great at this and I love when he did games and uh, but they they're missing the human angle of that you you yourself all the years you did broadcasting you would go downstairs you talk to the players and you you would get stories about them you know you how they what makes them tick uh, what are they trying to do are they healthy this day none of that is addressed anymore everything is like you know um everything is like we're in, in some kind of college math class uh, and it's putting us to sleep they don't want to talk the beauty of baseball are the stories of baseball and i think that's exactly. why you 
Yeah, that's why you survived the decades with your baseball stories. I, I think it's that simple. And, and for them not to recognize it shows you their lack of humanity. And we, we might as well just make, a, you know, one of these, um, uh, you know, robots just start broadcasting games. I'm waiting for that when uh, what, what they call it, the uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah. It's coming. It's all in the it's, it's, all, a, it, it, it's all AI. It's all artificial intelligence now. There is no wisdom. It's 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 so bad. And, and one other point that. I want to make sure so the listeners understand, and this this is funny. Uh, uh, I think you'll get a kick out of this, Ed. I didn't need to know. And again, I spent all all my uh, so many years in press boxes and things. I didn't need to see Ed to know Ed was in the press box because I was usually in the front row. Oh, here um, we go. <laughs> go ahead, Kevin. Tell him. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. This, this I is did it last gonna... night. Go ahead. I this did is... it last night at City Field. I'm going to do it again tonight. Go ahead. This this, this is, uh, again, that's what we do on our show. We bring reality to the show. And, and Ed <laughs> does his homework. Ball. Here we go. Yeah. Ed does his homework in such a fashion that it's amazing. And uh, But I didn't have to – I didn't have – you know – I look around, I scan, but a lot of times, like even at the Mets, for example, I would not sit in my New York Post seat. I would sit way down to the left because I want to look in the Mets dugout and see what's going on. The other writers may be wanting to throw stuff on Twitter or, you know, showing how smart they are, but I'm actually watching what's going on. So sitting in a corner, I would often sit in a corner or whatever and uh, away from people, but I would hear a noise behind me. I would hear this noise, (laughs) the sound of paper being torn. Exactly. Not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but like 20, 30 times. And you could tell it was torn meticulously with a ruler. Tell us about that system that you have, Ed, because that's that's your homework system. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you for remembering. Uh, and I hope I didn't annoy you too much. Uh, I no, show no, it wasn't with, annoying. It was kind of, uh, it was like sounds of the game. Yeah, I I show up with a metal ruler. Um, I'm one of the few people still reading newspapers. So I will bring uh, my four newspapers to City Field tonight uh, as the Mets play Milwaukee. And I will cut out the articles of relevance to lighten my load. And so you hear, I don't use the scissors. I use I use a metal ruler and uh, I bring it with me everywhere. And I've got highlighters. Uh, so I highlight stuff and uh, and that's what I do. Uh, informally, I'm known as the Yankee Clipper and uh, the second coming of you. You guys can use that uh, I, as the Yankee Clipper. And one day I'm on a flight, Kev, to uh, California from New York. OK, and so I'm, we got five hours to do it. Uh, exactly. And I'm cutting up newspapers in the back. And this woman very, with nastiness in her voice uh, starts to uh, get on me and uh and I said, you know, I'm very sorry. And is is this going to be like this all the way to California? And I said, no, I I'll be done by Kansas. <laughs> and, and that Good was answer. the end of her. That was the end of her. Really nasty. I got work to do here. Uh, so yes, um, I do it. Uh, you know, I have great reverence for the sport. I have great reverence for what it is that I do and the great opportunities that have been given to me in my uh, professional life as a sports journalist. And uh, uh, John Wooden, who did uh, pretty good in, in his career, said failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Sure. So, Absolutely. Uh, 
on WFAN for 17 years. I never went out on Saturday nights unless I was covering a game and then I'd be doing my homework there. That's four hours of preparation uh, before every uh, show on WFAN. And that continues now on Sirius XM. So I'm uh, this. This is what I do. I can't help it. And to your point, Kevin, it's the stories. And the guys, you know, this is my, uh, this is, uh, these are batting practice fastballs for me. To be able to sit down and call Frank Howard. Nobody's calling Frank Howard. Frank Howard, oh my God, Kevin, you couldn't, you can't get enough of this guy as an example. Just all the stories of playing behind Koufax in the week he had 10 home runs in a week in the year of the pitcher. Eddie, you know, I thought they were going to crease me at some point, you know, <laughs> just the stories. Where are the Jeter stories? Where are the Mike Trout stories? The the Blake Snell story? Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? No, that's a great point. And that's that's why we have you on the show, because you have the stories. And one last question, and I'll throw it over to Will, but um it, it, it leads perfectly to where I'm going here with that, the stories. Cause uh, I, yesterday I was on Jill Martin's podcast, you know, Billy's, uh, uh, yep. widow and, uh, wonderful sweetheart, wonderful lady. Um, I'm sure, you know, all these people, we're talking about the people you get to meet, right? You're not just talking about ballplayers, but you're talking about family members and things like that. So, so give us a couple examples maybe of people who have really impacted you, um, whether they're big named or not, and and those and, and what it means to have that kind, like you just said with Frank Howard, to have those kind of uh, conversations. Uh, in terms of impacting my career, um, there's only one name, and that is the blessed Vince Scully. I was a uh, sophomore at Fordham, and I uh, the day I showed up. <laughs> Um, for orientation, um, I go into Keating Hall, and uh, it turns out my orientation leader happens to be the news director of the radio station, WFUV. 50,000 watts on FM, not some little carrier current you can only hear it on campus station, with a legacy of Scully, Charles Osgood, Alan Alda, all these people who came through there. Oh, my God. Uh, I go up to Sean Driscoll, uh, the, who was happened to be the sport uh, the uh, he was the news director of the radio station, and he was running our orientation. How do you join WFUV when the orientation session had ended? And he goes, pretty much what Woody Allen once said, 90% of life is just showing up. <laughs> wow. And so so I did. I wrote to Scully, and he writes back, and I still have the letter. And he says, you can bring the letter if you'd like to Shea Stadium, and I'll be happy to talk to you before one of the games. I put on my best suit. I climb into my Plymouth Duster. Thank you, Plymouth huh. Duster. Metallic blue with a gold stripe down the side. I'm a happening guy. I drive to Shea Stadium. I walk up to the press gate. I show them the letter. I don't know oh. if you need a press pass or something. They let me in. Wow. And I go upstairs to meet them. And I stayed in touch with him. Not close, and not close, but stayed in touch with him. And... He was my North Star in terms of the way that he broadcast the game and respected his audience, and it was never about him. So when I hear people talk about how much they venerate Scully, and I've got names on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not going to say them, and yet they have a home run call and they have all this other crap that they throw at the audience, I'm like, 
you are desecrating his memory. And so he is the guy that I have modeled myself after. My God, again, I'm I'm not one one thousandth of what he was, but I just try to respect the audience and present to them the best I can every single week on the air. Well, the uh, you know, one of the highlights for me always was going to Dodger Stadium and and Ben, ben and I uh, he he was close to so many people because he, he he cared about people and you know I did a few stories early on and, and one day he comes in Kevin Kevin that that was the greatest story I've ever had about me and I'm I'm like wow you know so so right. all I can say and I'm gonna throw it to Will now because I and you don't have to address this because I'm gonna address it because I don't care. Um, um, uh, you know, I don't. I don't care about the new world that we live in, and I think things have to be said. Thank goodness, Vin Scully wasn't around for that recent. Uh, oh God! Oh, I'm so glad there. you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought in that LA. up. LA. If Vin were around, I can't imagine what he would say. It would have either, a would that it would have happened, or B that he would have worked that game. Yeah, oh, he would have missed that game. I guarantee it, because he would go to Saturday Mass a lot too. I know that. I think he would have. I think he would have left. I don't think they would have had the nerve to schedule it in the first place. Okay, I, I, it was just absolutely out, outrageous. Yeah, I'm so disappointed. Well, in one, other thing, one, one other thing, I just wanted to say. Um, I walked up. Uh, the athletic director at Fordham is a, is a friend of mine before he became the athletic director at Fordham, and I went up last year and I said, "Who is interviewing the greatest uh, living Fordham athletes?" Uh, who are those that are in the base or, or, or in the Fordham uh, Athletic Hall of Fame, starting with seven blocks with Lombardi? And he goes, uh, I said, well, I'd like to do that. So anyway, uh, we formulated a plan. And of course, number one, Kev, was him. So I call him and I, I get his phone number and I call him in Los Angeles and Vin picks up the phone and we talk, Ed, how are you? And I tell Vin, we're doing this thing and I want you to be number one. And he goes, uh, Ed, you know, if it weren't for going to the doctors that have no social life at all, I would be delighted to do it. We had another phone exchange and then he leaves a message on my cell phone and then unfortunately passes away. Uh, I have that message on my cell phone. I will never delete it. Wow. So he was going to be our number one guy. Uh, they call this uh, they call this Ed Randall's talking Rams <laughs> because I guess everybody knows my last name is baseball. It's Ed Randall's talking baseball. So they decided to call it Ed Randall's talking Rams. But what a thrill to even know Vince Scully. Yeah, my one of my uh, I still have it on tape about a forty minute interview I did with uh, Vin, and um, it was not too long before, maybe about six seven months before he passed. So he, he you know, he. He is a shining light for how it should be done in baseball. The first thing they could do is get back to maybe having a little bit more of a Vince Scully approach in the booth. And I couldn't agree more. And with that, uh, we touched a lot of bases. I'll throw it over to Will. Well, thanks for letting me come on today uh, to the the one guy I read every week and the other guy I listen to every week and and puts a smile on my (laughs) face and – um, I guess I've been on probably about 40 or 50 shows and Ed, we talk about it with every person. We've had great guests that love the game the way we do. And we all talk about, yeah, we love the game, but it's the relationships that we build. And as you were talking, uh, when I lived in New Jersey, I was very active with our scouts association up there. And I think that's where I first met you and 
guys like Gil Bazzetti and John Hageman, and you were talking about Herbie Stein and the legends of scouting in that New York area that every day I walked in a ballpark, I smiled when I saw them. And unfortunately, I don't get to do that as much anymore. But the days that I do have guys that I really enjoy being with, and I was with Joe Rigoli a couple of weeks ago, those are my days of joy. Um, this this is such yes. a wonderful game, and you two guys, like I said, uh, there's a reason I listen and read every week because of the stories and your view of the game and your passion for the game. I love the game, and I take yep. it personally. And I'm, I take what's going on very yeah. personally. I feel like I've been stabbed yeah. in the and, heart. And well, I, I, I just wanted to say, you know, and, and that's something I thought of when we're not Grandpa Simpson yelling at the clouds. We recognize the athleticism and how good the game would be played if we were still teaching guys to play the game and not just teaching them individual measurables which are exit velocities, launch angles, spin rates, velocity, spin axis, all these things that don't matter. Teach guys how to pitch, teach guys how to play, run the bases, play defense. And the game with the athleticism would be wonderful. We're not a bunch of old crabs that that say the game stinks because of the players. It stinks right now because we're not teaching the guys how to play the game the right way. I agree. And don't be telling me that, well, you know, you're old school or that. No, this is the game, not what you're teaching. This is the game. This Volpe guy playing shortstop, who I think is over his skis, hitting a buck 95 and doesn't belong in the major leagues with this long looping swing. Oh, man. You know, if you just bunted once a week, you'd get over 200. And I thought the same thing with Reyes when Reyes was with the Mets. If you just bunt once a week, you'll be a 300 hitter. How tough, you know, I graduated in the top 75% of my class. I'm not that smart. Okay. Okay, but I, you know, it seems to me that if you did this sort of thing, you'd improve your game. Well, now, I think would, one thing would, I got Maddox, today, would Maddox get signed today? Would Whitey get signed today? Would Gladden get signed today? No, you said you're down to what four pitchers that know that pitch that aren't throwers. Uh, so uh, Kyle, you know Hendrick in Chicago, the Cubs. I love him. He, the last vestige of this sort of thing. I had, we had, a, Will, uh, if you saw, the, heard the show this past week, we had yeah. R.A. Oh, was R.A. Dickey. Yeah. Right, you know, talking about the yeah. knuckleball. And he said, Ed, please don't say it's extinct. No, I, it, it's part of the yeah. fun of the game. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I got to interject real quick. I'll make it fast. Uh, I asked Glavin once, uh, would you get drafted when he was at the Mets and his career was winding up? I said, would you get drafted today? And this was, you know, this was when this was all basically beginning. He said, yeah, I'd get drafted because, you know, I'm left-handed. But but Greg wouldn't get drafted. So there's your answer. No. There's it's, your answer. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I used to hang out with Buddy Kerr and Joe McDonald uh, and Tom Giordano and the older scouts when I first started doing this. And, you know, they said, put down the radar gun, watch the game, and the hitters will tell you who can – pitch and the hit and the pitchers will tell you who can hit just by watching the game. And 
I don't need a stopwatch that much. I don't need anything. When I watch the game, I can tell you who can play and who can't. And none of the measurables mean anything. Uh, it, it, it truly doesn't. I, you know, uh, you know, exit velocity. You know, he averages hundred. He averages one hundred and nine. Well, let's add in his swing and misses. He's down to eight miles per hour for the season on his exit velocity. And I also, if, if you don't mind, I just want to bring something else up. We're becoming yeah. tennis. You, we used to make fun of the tennis parents, right? And how they they did everything for their privileged kids, by and large, because it was a sport played by privileged people. If you want, if you want your son to play baseball, you have to shell out for travel teams. You have to shell out for showcases. I have a dear friend of mine whose son is going into his senior year in high school, and he's been everywhere in the Northeast with this kid. He's a good player. But really, I walked on at Fordham. That's impossible now. So we've become tennis. If you can't afford it, then you can't play it. Forget about how they abandoned the black community 40 years ago. That's done. And so here we are. Yeah, no, it's 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 the little rich kid game, and um, I I we're going to be a niche sport. He will. We're going to be if this continues. We're going to be a niche sport. We're going to be hockey yeah, in no, ten years. Exactly. It's it's not good. You know, we're not drawing kids to the game. Uh, you know. Bat flips. Bat flips are going to help. You heard me say on the air uh, to Kevin Kennedy a couple of weeks ago, uh, somebody on the Cardinals hit a game-winning uh, – Atlanta hit a game-winning home run. He was congratulated by the on-deck hitter. After he flipped his bat and, uh, you know, the uh, Ozuna came up to him and, and slapped him, you know, and, and they, slapped, they slapped five with their first base coaches. Oh, Really? I had Mantle on my television show say to me, Eddie, you know, when I hit a home run, I put my head down and I ran around the bases as fast as I could because they knew the next time they'd get one in the ribs, even Mickey Mantle. You know, uh, you know Mike Jorgensen once shared a story with me, and he got traded over to the uh, Cardinals, and his first spring training, Gibson drilled him during pitcher's BP early in the thing, and he said, he said, hey, Bob, was – was that something I did? He said, yeah, you remember that home run you hit down the line? You kind of stopped to see if it was fair or foul. I had the feeling I right. I had the feeling you'll be traded again, and I just wanted to make sure you don't ever do that again. <laughs> he hit uh, he hit Pete Lecoq uh, in a uh, in a, in, a, in an alumni game because Lecoq hit the last home run off right no. when they were acting. I, you yeah. Know, the, this stuff that they encourage that nobody says a word and it's seeping down into youth baseball and the, the, the thing, you know, the things that you see where parents are coming out and hitting umpires and there's fights and it's, it's not good. It, 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 it's, it's not good. We're losing our sanity. We're losing the beauty of what this game truly is. They don't know the words, and, and not only do they not respect the game, guys, they don't know what the concept no. is of respect right. the game. They don't know. Yeah. Guys, we kept Ed here for almost an hour today. It's been great, great content. Uh, Ed, could, could you share with our audience again, how can we follow your show? How can we support 
your causes right now. And we'll make sure that our 19,000 plus subscribers all get right behind everything you're doing. Remind our audience how we can listen to you and how we can support you. Thanks. Well, the show is called Remember When, and it airs Saturday mornings, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time uh, on uh, MLB Network Radio Channel 89 on Sirius XM Radio. Love, love, love doing the show. And uh, as far as uh, Fans for the Cure, we're at fansforthecure.org all spelled out. And if you'd like to sign up for the catch, and I hope that you will, we're at fansforthecure.org slash the catch and get uh, people to support the catch. And again, all proceeds from the catch will help fund our, uh, our uh, programming schedule of uh, prostate cancer uh, awareness and education and screening events. We do free screenings. Uh, we've done free screenings in Yankee Stadium for nine years. This will be our 10th in September. It's Prostate Cancer Awareness Month then. Uh, we're, in, uh, we're in talks to finally do one at the New York Mets. Uh, we have interest right now in Seattle and Arizona and uh, in Tampa. And uh, hopefully we'll be doing free screenings there as well in September. So thank you so much, all of you, for the opportunity to talk about the charity. Oh, no, it's a beautiful cause that you're doing. We appreciate your efforts in that and also in baseball. We're going to get our game back. But guys like yourself and Kevin and Will will keep pushing forward and, and getting, the, getting the voice out there and take some action. Before we part ways, though, today, Kevin always asks a very simple question in nature, but it's pretty deep uh, Every, every guest answers it differently. So, Kevin, I'll turn it back to you for your final question. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this answer. And uh, it is a simple question. Uh, and no one has uh, probably talked to more baseball players through the uh, decades than you that's, that's around right now. So here's the question to Ed Randall. You can think about it for a second. Um, the question is simple. What does it mean being a ball player? To you, Ed Randall, what does it mean to be a ball player? Um, what it means to be a ball player is to have, uh, I'll never forget being uh, my first year in Elmira, New York, in the New York Penn League. And I became friends with this elderly league president named Vin, uh, Vin, Vince McNamara. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, the players are touched by God. So what it means to be a ball player is to have a recognition that you have been touched by God, that in the history of the world, there have been less than 20,000 people that have played Major League Baseball, that you are touched by God, that you need to protect that investment that God has put in you, and to remember that you are never, ever playing for yourself. You're playing for all the people that helped you get to where you are, and most wow. especially to the institution and respect the institution called baseball. Wow. A wonderful answer, Ed. I knew it'd be that. great. I love that. And uh, our audience definitely got a treat today. I want to thank uh, Kevin, as always, for uh, being a first-class interviewer, bringing out the very best in our guests. Ed, tremendous uh, interview for us today. Our audience certainly got a treat today. And Will, thanks for appearing on the show. I know it's double duty for you this week, but always appreciate what you add to our, our broadcast here. 19,500 subscribers. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. The rate and review helps us battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in baseball. We can keep providing you with great content like we do every week here on Coaching Trending and our other shows. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, whatever your streaming apparatus is, we will make sure we're on it. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hit us up there live. I get back to one person live every day. Close to 800 DMs now. I've got to get back there. As we go, we keep getting more. 
We are in 72 countries now, grassroots to MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And I will finish with our pre uh, our preset message that our audience helped me subscribe to. But as you listen to the show and future shows, just prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball and life, because as this program does, like all of our programs do, we have no time for the comforting lies out there. In this episode 210, Coach and Kernan as part of the Real Voices of the Game production. Guys, thanks so much for a great day today. Thank I appreciate you. you all. Thank you for having me.